developing trust is a complicated issue, but it tends to be when the going gets rough, how do you act? Are you a person that is going to stick to the ethics and the mission and the values when things get rough? And to me, that's a huge issue for anyone that's trying to figure out how to show up in the world as a good person to have on your team, which is ethics are easy when things are all fine and dandy. But when you have to make a decision that really is something that challenges what might be the most expedient thing to do and what really is the right thing to do, if people have seen you do that over time, they know that they can trust you to be there with them. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and opened doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to today's episode of How Women Inspire. Our guest is a former banking CEO who is passionate about getting more qualified women a board seat in the corporate board table. She has over 30 years of management and governance experience and was the CEO of the Western Independent Bankers Association. It's the largest regional banking association in the United States. And for over 20 years, she was leading it. She created educational programs for directors and senior executives and worked with hundreds of bank CEOs and board members. She has also spent eight years with the California Bankers Association, holding a variety of positions, including senior vice president, where she oversaw federal government relations, public affairs, communications, educational programs, and conferences. This is the banker to know, ladies. Let me tell you, prior to adopting California as her home, she worked for three different members of Congress in Washington, D.C. for over six years. She also included a a stint as a legislative director at just the baby age of 24. Ladies and gentlemen, the founder and CEO of Women to Boards, 
a company that connects professional, talented, board-ready women to corporate board seats. Please join me in welcoming Nancy Shepard to today's podcast. Nancy, what a treat to have you here. Whoopi, Julie, so fun to be with you as always. We always have a great time together. We sure do. All right. So uh, Nancy, I love so many of the things that we get to do together. And in part, because you're so fun. We even talked about how you have a family history with the Salem Witch Trials. So have you had any trials, ups and downs in your life where you have like a theme song that you pull out? Absolutely, Julie. You know, anybody who has been to one of my board workshops knows that one of those songs that really resonates with me, and I want people to think about for everything in their life, not just for their board seat, is I want to be in the room where it happens. Because to me, that's all about being in the leadership role, and we want to hear, have our voices heard. So that one just jumps out for me. But I have to say, you know, I'm kind of one of those people saying, What's your favorite food? Well, you know, you can only have so much lobster. So I love lots of different songs. And I have to say, one of the things that I love about How Women Lead is that Nicole, you know, who runs all of the operations for you, put together a great Spotify playlist with all mm-hmm. sorts of songs about women. And I was just listening to that in my car the other day, because it's like, yeah, you know, this one really gets me going for this, or that one really gets me going for that. And, you know, it depends on my mood. If I'm really in that mood where I got to, okay, let's just be fun and have a great time. Something works, but I am woman. Hear me roar has always been one that really resonated with me. Ooh, I remember like, you know, the singing that as a little girl bouncing around the house. That was, that's a, that's a good one. In the introduction, we said that you came to California by way, maybe of DC, but where did you start your journey and how did that influence you? Do you have a memory of like a significant event that had a big impact? Well, I grew up as an army brat and a diplomatic brat. And so I moved an awful lot. That was really something for me that I realized that I had to figure out how to make friends quickly and how to adapt to changing situations. And I think that has really been something that has been helpful for me for a long time. We lived in South Africa for three years when I was in my preteen environment from eight to 10 years old. And I was there during full-on apartheid. So I lived in that environment and I saw it and it, it made a huge impression on me. My mom was very active with the American embassy there and they would go out to the, what they called the reservations and, you know, pass out bread and peanut butter to kids. And I would go occasionally with when I wasn't in school and to see what that kind of life was with the restrictions on having to have a pass to walk the streets if you were a person of color, that you couldn't sleep under the same roof, not only men and women, but we had a a woman that worked with us and she couldn't sleep in our house. She had to sleep someplace else outside. And I couldn't understand that. When you're a young kid, you're going, why is this like this? And, you know, kids don't have the prejudice that people develop over time. And I think it was a huge thing for me to watch that and kind of ingrain in myself of what injustice was about early on. Oh, Nancy, what a beautiful story. And I love that you said, you know, you had to learn how to make friends, adapt to new circumstances, and you underscored your commitment to justice and equity. And I would say when you think about being in the corporate boardroom, aren't those some of the most important skills is being able to adjust and pivot and work with um, all kinds of people? Absolutely. And, I, you know, not only in the boardroom, but in any parts of your career, I think in this, in the environment that as things change so fast, 
I mean, they always say Darwin's philosophy was that those that could adapt to change were the ones that would survive. And we have to all learn to adapt. And some of the adapting is pretty difficult. You know, it's really challenging, especially as we're looking at some of the things that we're going through right now. I worked in Washington, as you said, and, and my early career, I started there in when I was 21 years old, I went to Washington, D.C. because I was a political science major. My dad was an engineer. My brother was an engineer. And they said, well, what are you going to do with a degree in political science? And, you know, it's a chip on my shoulder. I said, well, I'm going to Washington, D.C. I can imagine the eye roll, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. My dad, who was the West Point colonel, who was in a military command and control culture, which he brought home. So I was the one that stood up to that culture And it was really important to me. And I had to prove myself. I had to prove myself to myself and to my dad. That was challenging for me, but I did. I went to DC and knocked on doors and got a job there and did as much as I could. And I was excited to be there. I was so excited, Julie, to be there and have the kind of job I thought that I really wanted. I was there when Roe v. Wade was actually the In my view, the positive decision made by the Supreme Court, I was there when Title IX was passed. And then I was there when Watergate happened. Wow. And that really turned around for me. I was going through a lot of, I don't want to say sexual harassment, but Washington, D.C. during that time working on Capitol Hill Mm -hmm. wasn't the easiest place in the world for a woman to be or excel. So Mm -hmm. it was challenging. And I, as a result of that, I decided to drop out of it, not purposely at the time, but I decided I was going to go skiing in Aspen. And I went skiing in Aspen. I stayed for two years. And (laughs) then I came to California. So I had this sort of like epiphany of, okay, as you said, I like to have fun. I was like, you know what? I had a great time doing that. I learned a lot, but I am not ready to stay there right now. I need to find a new life. And I think that has been really important for me to be able to say, I'm going to take some risks. And coming to California was after Colorado was great. I mean, I got out here and had no idea what I was going to do, but I drove through Sausalito one time and said, I'm going to pack up everything I have and move out here. And I did in the Volkswagen Rabbit. I always wondered how it is that you sort of made the leap from DC to leading in banking. But I would think both in banking and as you think about boards, a lot of those skills that you learned and even the literally the people you met working in legislative work is completely translatable. Can you make a bridge for us in terms of the actual work? You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous badass and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. It's better for people. It's better for profits. And it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board. And we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches, they're word of mouth and through connections. We want to connect with private equity firms that are seeking board members. 
We want to connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week, but what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board. Check it out. Come and explore. Invite 10 friends. Tell them that you believe in them. It's the greatest gift you can give. Somebody did it for you. And I want to encourage you to do it for another woman. I look forward to seeing you at Get On Board Week so we can get thousands of women on boards. This year, our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on, we're adding the private board space. It's time. Thanks for your partnership. Send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. When I came to California, I ended up getting a job for the California Bankers Association. Now, I knew nothing about banking. Honestly, I mean, very little about banking. But they were interested in someone that knew Washington and knew how to get around Washington. So that was my entree into the banking environment. And I ended up doing that and having a a very, very supportive boss. He trained me and he really was a mentor to me. And I eventually got his job. But that's a story in and of itself, because this was a time period when, you know, you could almost openly discriminate against women. I mean, he, the executive director of the organization said, we'll never hire a woman to take this position as, you know, vice president of federal government relations. And so I was like, oh, wow, I know where my battle is now. I mean, once again, we have control and command situations and you're telling me I can't do it. Well, I'm going to do it. So I found more mentors that would be able to help me along the way. And that was how I was able to succeed in getting to that next level. And and then when I transitioned over to Western Independent Bankers, it was because of men who had seen me perform and do a good job. And one of the committee members said, oh, I'm president of this other organization. Would you be interested in a job there? And I was like, oh, okay, I'd love to talk about that which I think is, as I'm coaching women on their board journey, it's the same. People that have seen you and trust you will recommend you. And 90%, I think, of that interaction with boards and and for a good part of, of, I think, becoming a senior executive, people have to trust you. But I think it's even more that way in boards because they've got to be able to know that they can trust you in a way as a peer because That's what you are when you're a board member. You're a peer. You don't report to the other board members. They have to know that they can feel comfortable with you in environments and they can't really fire you. So they better trust you going in. If I'm a woman on the journey and I want to make sure that I can give that sense of trustworthiness, what are some of the things that you see people doing that really work? Is it just people having seen you in action? Is it something that people say or do? Developing trust is a complicated issue, but it tends to be when the going gets rough, how do you act? Are you a person that 
is going to stick to the ethics and the mission and the values when things get rough. And to me, that's a huge issue for anyone that's trying to figure out how to show up in the world as a good person to have on your team, which is ethics are easy when things are all fine and dandy. But when you have to make a decision that really is something that challenges what might be the most expedient thing to do and what really is the right thing to do, if people have seen you do that over time, they know that they can trust you to be there with them and that you're authentic and you're transparent. I mean, if you are not those things, I don't know how you trust someone. I mean, we have all had people that lie by omission. And when you lie by omission, you lie, in my view. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. For me, this, you clearly have a great sense of what people are looking for and what it makes a really terrific board member. But how did you actually decide that this is a role you wanted to play? I mean, you went from politics and skiing to banking. How did getting on board play into that? Well, I had been involved with doing the training of bank board members, putting Uh together programs that would bring in a governance expert or an audit committee expert or something of that nature. And we did very large conferences with board members and CEOs, et cetera, and and also, you know, C-suite people that would be brought in. But typically, we would have a lot of these peer group environments where the directors would get together. And so I would help kind of coordinate some of that sort of stuff. I would sit at the table with some of them. And I really started doing things that were of interest to me because it was the governance of an organization and the outside view of what's going to make this company better? What's going to make us have a better culture? What's going to make us do all these things that really will help us succeed? And as a result of that, and my inquiries and my discussions, I was asked to be on two smaller private boards. One of them was an organization, which I actually helped, really was one of the impetus for starting it, which was I saw what was happening with workers' compensation issues at one point, and we did a we did a mutual program for banks to buy workers' compensation and a mutual insurance environment. And I wasn't really an internal member because I wasn't a bank that was buying, but I was asked because I was, you know, I'd been involved with helping to start up the concept to sit on that board, which I did for quite some time. So I found it was very intriguing to look at how that outside perspective really helps the management to be able to think outside what they might normally be thinking of. So if I got the timeline right, you know, this is around the 2000s that you were working in these kinds of programs. I think the data says there weren't very many women in the boardroom during that period of time. How is it that you decided that you wanted to work with women to yeah, get up this yeah, board? Right. When I decided I was going to be leaving the Western Independent Bankers, I say graduated. I don't like the word retire, but graduated from that. And I wasn't sure at that time what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to really pursue more board work or whether I wanted what I wanted to do. I was ready for a a major change in my way I was working. I knew I still wanted to work. And so I was approached by several companies to think about sitting on their boards. Some of them I thought I might be interested in. As I pursued it, I thought, you know, I'm not ready to do this again right now. 
I've been sitting on a lot of board meetings for a long time as an internal board member as well as through the other ones. And I just thought, you know, this one's not right for me. I think I'll call so-and-so and see if this might be right for her. Or I'd call him back and say, you know, I'm not really interested in that right now because I'm doing X, Y, Z. Would you like me to? Oh, we'd love for you to refer us to some other people. So I thought, well, this is kind of an interesting concept. Maybe I should just think about how to do this. And initially, I thought I would do this just for banks because that was the area I knew best. And I had several referrals I made while I was still at WIB, Western Independent Bankers, and they got board seats. So I thought, wow, you know, maybe this is something I should do as sort of my next step. And then it just really hit me so hard that, wow, if I can find women this quickly that are qualified to be able to refer on, how can I help them make sure that they know how to do this? So that's when I thought I started doing research on what was out there. And I really happened to hit the nail on the head, I think, in terms of how the, the movement was just starting. Uh, people were just starting to say, look, we just need a lot more women on boards. I got involved with the organization 2020 Women on Boards. They were just launching the idea that we needed 20% of board seats for women by the year 2020. I thought, well, that's a great thing for me to participate in. I thought, this is how I can give back and increase the gender diversity in the boardroom. And it's been incredibly rewarding to see where we are so far, Julie. You know, you've been so active in this. We've been partners in this together for the last, you know, five, six years. And being able to see how far we've come, despite some bumps in the road, we have really, as a constituency of women to do this, plus men that want to help as well, that are starting to see, you know, especially I found interestingly enough, especially men that have daughters, that they want to make sure their daughters have the opportunities that maybe their wives haven't had yet. Maybe they still want their wives to get the board seat, but they're also thinking about, oh, I want my daughter to not have this. I, I heard that from a, a private equity speaker a couple of years ago, and I thought, yeah, you know what? Some of them really get it, that they really want to make sure this happens. It does. And I would just sort of underscore also, uh, the companies are better managed, the risk is better managed, and companies ultimately make more money when you have a diverse board. So everybody wins. How have you seen it change? You've been working in this space for a long time. People used to be looking for one type of board member. Are they looking for a new type of board member today? Like, What, what would you think are the highlights? Of change. Yeah. I sometimes think to myself, wow, I should have started this 20 years ago. And then because I'd be, I would have been younger. And, but I think of back and go, you know, 20 years ago, it really wouldn't have taken off. We didn't have the movement that we have today where we see the investors that are saying, we really want this. We used to say, we want this. Now oh, we yeah. demand it. Now you're going to play by our rules or we're going to play with you. And that means that they're looking for much more of a diverse board that includes diversity in so many ways. Nancy, I mean, you really have been part of massive cultural movements and change around equity in this country. And it's really exciting to hear about it. What are the values you want to make sure the younger generations learn? Going back to what I said about the values are, are really are much easier when the going is good. Really great leaders keep steadfast to their values when things get rough. Honesty, transparency are two that I think are really, really key to embrace. I think compassion has become one that has blossomed in the last few years and probably because 
We now have more women that are leading the way in this. And I think also, I have a quote from Reba McIntyre, who said, to succeed in life, you need three things, a wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone. And you need to dream to provide motivation. You need to have the toughness to stand your ground in the face of opposition. And you need to have a sense of humor about yourself or something to keep a smile on your face when you want to run or hide or cry. And you want to laugh because if you can't do that, you're really not a person that a lot of people want to even be around. <laughs> when people are not balanced out, you know, when they're they're all of one of those three things, that's obviously where the challenge comes in. So many people tell me it's because of you, not just your guidance, but the literally the connections and introductions you make for people, the confidence that they have that has resulted in them uh, getting those, those really critical board seats and everybody wins. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping so many women be in the room where it happens. And I know you, you like to say to people, don't miss your shot take it. And I think because of your hard work and women like you, Nancy, the the doors are being swung wide open. And so I want everybody to hear what Nancy's saying. It is not an issue about whether or not there are enough great women out there. It's we need to make sure you're visible and seen and they can find you. Absolutely. How can people find you, Nancy? Well, mostly they can find me through How Women Lead. Because I'm involved with a number of things through you, with the workshops that that we've done, as well as work with Get On Board Week. I'm so excited that in October of this year, 2022, whenever this is heard, who knows, we'll be doing Get On Board Week, and I'll be doing some of the work with that as well. And then I have a website, Women Two Boards, with the, with the number two dot com, where um, if someone wants to connect stuff with me there, they can or LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. All right, everyone, you have the table set. It's just time for you to pull up a chair. So this conversation has been fantastic. If you would like to hear other episodes like today's episode, just subscribe to our podcast on our website at howwomenlead.com. We'll send you email notifications of new episodes, or you can go to LinkedIn or Instagram at howwomenlead, all one word. I hope that all of you are feeling a sense of hope and clarity and that you have a roadmap now for how to really be seen as that authentic, trustworthy leader that Nancy was talking about and that you will take your shot. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you, Julie. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.